We're starting a new series, um, a new book, and it's the book of Genesis. And I'm a little nervous about this series just because it's a huge book, and it's a rich book, and it's full of story and narrative. It's full of theology. It's, it's basically the foundation upon which all of Scripture is built upon. It's the very first book. But when I, when I thought about starting a new series uh, a new, in a new book, what better place to start than the very beginning of the Bible, right? And so we're going to do this. And like I said, Genesis is extremely rich. And it, as the first book um, in the canon, Christian canon, it holds the position of uh, being a foundational piece uh, upon which the word of God, scripture, is built upon. And so it makes sense that we should pay attention, that we should look into the scripture. And... Um, and the thing is, I, I know a lot of us have tried to read the Bible and have opened up our Bibles many times growing up. If you grew up in the church, like, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, or I'm going to read through the Bible. And we've got to Genesis, so we know the first two chapters of Genesis, right? Like, yeah, origins of humanity, the creation of the world. It's amazing. And you probably can memorize, you have it memorized. So when we read it again, we kind of gloss over it, right? We, I know, I know. I know that, right? Um, We don't listen or we don't uh, pay uh, closer attention. And so the hope uh, in this series is that we can look at things anew, afresh. If you've been through Genesis a lot, there's great stories. Uh, There's a lot about God, who God is as creator, as the one God, right? There's a lot of stuff uh, in the Christian faith that can be found, it's sourced or originates in Genesis, like some say the Trinity, we see the Trinity, the idea of the Trinity, covenant, right, God creating covenant with his people, and that kind of stuff, so Genesis is really important, so we're going to pay attention to that, Um, and we are today in chapter 1 through chapter 2, 4. So 1, 1 through 2, actually 2, 3. I'm going to go to 2, 3. And this is the first account, creation account in Genesis. So for those of you who don't know, there's actually two creation accounts in Genesis. So roughly the first chapter and then the second chapter is like a retelling of the creation story. And you're like, what? There's two creation stories? And they don't jive with each other. They have, you know, they're kind of different. The emphasis is different. And you're like, is that a contradiction? Is that what, what's going on here? The best thing that I could say is, like the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why are there four Gospels, right? To tell the same story about Jesus. There are four Gospels because the writer or the, you know, inspired by God is trying to convey um, certain points, certain theologies about who God is, certain emphases. But we're in the first creation account today, and our creation story, and this first chapter of Genesis through the third verse of chapter two, uh, the creation story in the Bible establishes Israel's God, Elohim, Yahweh, Israel's God, as superior to all other deities in the ancient Near East, right? It's not the elevation of a king, right? 
that people were made in the image of this king, or it's not some story of many, many gods, a pantheon of gods who are fighting each other, oftentimes envious and jealous of one another, and fighting off sea monsters and stuff to create humanity and the world, and yet these these gods are more like children, right? They're not benevolent and all loving and like, I want to give of myself to humanity. It's more like, it's the jealous sister or the jealous sibling. I want to destroy you. I regret, uh, I regret creating humanity. And so surrounding the people of God in the ancient Near East were many tales, many stories uh, from Egypt, from Mesopotamia, uh, creation stories of how the world became, of how humanity um, was shaped and formed. And so um, this creation story is different, right? It stands apart from the rest. One, because it talks, it's theocentric. And theocentric is a way of saying what? God is at the center. And the question that's being answered is, who is this God? Not anthropocentric, right? It's all about me. It's all about people. We did this. Or about some king where all his subjects are made in the image of the king, right? But it's humanity is made in the image of the one true God. And this God is not jealous, is not envious, does not act like a child, right? This God is all-loving, magnanimous, benevolent, self-giving, blesses people, right? Blesses humanity, blesses creation, and has a plan. And so the world that is described, this cosmos, this universe as described in Genesis and the creation uh, of the world is not one that leads to more drama, right? There's not more drama or more chaos. It actually moves from chaos into order, and to beauty. Amen? And so the creation story in the Bible establishes Israel's God as superior to all other deities in the ancient Near East. Um, and it's not the elevation of a person or a pantheon of gods, but the elevation of the one true God. Sovereign, all-powerful, creator, covenant God. Three, three persons in one. Trinitarian God. Um, the second thing I wanted to point out is sometimes we become human-centric in our preaching of Genesis or in our discussion of the creation story in Genesis, right? What immediately, when I talk about creation, what immediately pops up in your mind? Or what, what, what do you think? Like, oh man, we got to talk about this, right? What comes up for me is all the debates and arguments and the preachers I've heard that I've talked about, right? Creation or evolution? Creation or evolution? Or are you a Bible literist, literalist, right? Do you believe that the world was created in six days, exactly six days? Or is it figurative, right? Each day could mean 10,000 years, whatever. That, I kind of like, I get hives, right? I get uncomfortable, like... Creation, evolution, creation, evolution, and then 
all these memories of growing up in the school public system, like having to argue with little kids when the science teachers began to teach about evolution versus creation. And it's like this both, it's just either or. And you're like, you can't be a wise or intelligent person if you believe in creationism. It's just unattainable, right? Of course it's evolution. Of course it's natural selection. It's either this or either that. And Genesis does not give any room for you to be a scientific mind or have any sort of intelligence. And so I'm scratching myself because I have hives, right? Because you're asking me, you're thinking, is David a literalist, right? Or is he a creationist or evolutionist? And my approach and my point to you guys is that this is the wrong question. Because Genesis does not serve to answer scientific inquiry, right? We're bringing our agenda into it. Because if you think of the people, right, God's people who were given this word, right, in the canon, they weren't thinking about evolution, right? It wasn't in their mind. What was in their mind is we are a nation of God and we're surrounded by other nations who believe many other gods. And they have all of these stories and all of these accounts of the origins. What are the origins? And all of us think about origins, right? Where did I come from? Where did my family come from? Who am I related to? What is the source? Right? And so these are the questions um, that they're asking. They're not asking, is, uh, is it the big, about the Big Bang, right? Was Darwin right? Those are our questions that we bring into the text. And so that's the first thing that I want to say is that this scripture is not answering scientific inquiry, right? It's telling us who is God, right? It's demonstrating to us who is this Yahweh, Elohim, this one God. It's holy scripture meant to tell the story of a creator and his love. The next thing I wanted to point out is this first chapter, we should read, read as a song, almost as a song of praise, right? It has a, it's very hymnic, hypnotic, hymnalist. It's very like a hymn, right? A, a hymn of praise, a hymn of praise for the creator. In the first chapter, we meet the God of the Bible, right? The God of the Hebrews. We meet our God. The God that we, we follow, that we believe. We come to church, we call ourselves Christians because we believe this God. And so in this first chapter of Genesis, we meet this God. And when we read this text, we should read it like art, like literature, like a hymn. And when we, you approach a piece of literature or prose or music or poetry, um, you should always read it with an eye towards patterns, right, and rhythm. When you see patterns in nature, you become aware of the order in creation, right? Have you heard of the golden spiral? Right? I, I'm, I just discovered uh, that phrase, the golden spiral, because I was trying to think of names for my worm, because I, I placed that game Slither.io. I was like, the golden spiral. Right? That's a great name. Right? So there's a lot of things in nature 
that have the same ratio, the golden spiral. It's like, whoa, it points to this amazing sense of order and intelligent design, this design in nature um, that's consistent. Um, so when you see order, when I see order in nature, I become amazed, right? It makes me go, whoa, that is so vast. That's vision, right? It's like when you see uh, an amazing work of art, like the Sistine Chapel, right? Or something like those, have you seen those pictures of Jesus, but they're actually all of the gospels written down. Like if you look closely, it's like someone wrote the gospels and it made a picture of Jesus. You're like, oh my gosh, when you see the detail and all the work, and the, the handiwork put into it, it just blows your mind, right? And what comes up in us is awe. When we see art, right, we're, we're made to be in awe. Like, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so when we read this text, we should read it with an eye towards patterns and rhythm and read it with the expectation that we will be amazed. Um, this beginning tells us that life is not an accident. Life is not without order. Life is not random, but life is beautiful. Life is good, and we have a place in life. God and his word are the center of that good life. God is one. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God is love and blesses all of creation and blesses humanity. This is the God that we know, and this is what Genesis tells us. It introduces us to this. So before I talk anymore, I'm just going to read the scripture. And it's, it's longer uh, than most scriptures we, we preach on. So relax and soak it in and take it in. And see if you can, I've already like highlighted something, but see if you can hear the rhythm, right? See the pattern, see the repetition, um, and, and absorb it and meditate on it. Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4. This is the New International Version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed and according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, 
Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let, the, let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures uh, of the sea and every living thing which the water teems and moves about in, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that, was the, that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that he had made all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So, if you hit the next slide, uh, I said that Genesis is a song of praise for our creator. Um, so some patterns that I've gleaned from this, because uh, we're talking about patterns, uh, is that uh, the first thing that you'll see is six times um, to match up with six, the six days. What does God say? And God said, right? And God said. God speaks, and then the result is, and it was so, and, the, and it happened. So God speaks his word, and it's created. So this is the first pattern that we see. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. 
And God said, and it was so. And when I think about this, I'm like, wow, there's power in God's word. Amen? There's authority in God's word. Because when I say things to my children, it's not so. Right? Isaiah, be quiet. It was not so. Isaiah, go to your room and sleep. It's not so. Even little Cammie, we're trying to get her to go to bed. She was up till like 1 last night. Cammie, go to sleep. She's like, no. Cammie, go to sleep. No. Right? But God, with his authority and power, actually has power in his words. Right? Let there be light. Boom. Right? God's word is the only thing where the imperative is the indicative. I've heard it said. Or whatever. However it goes. Right? His word is action itself. Right? There's no, like, separation. And we think about uh, the scripture that Casey read. John 1, right? In the beginning, there's the same type of language. In the beginning, there was God. And there, there was the Word, right? And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then later down, you hear, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like Jesus is the embodiment of God's Word, right? Creation is the embodiment of God's Word, right? It's God's Word incarnated. Becoming, right? With his word, he speaks being. And that's, that should give us, like, that's worthy of praise, right? Woo, amen. In, that's indescribable. That's uncontainable, untamable, incomparable. Right? Who can understand this? Who can understand it? The next pattern that we see is uh, has to do with the days, right? God creates, he separates um, the night and the day, right? He separates and he puts in the sky uh, rule, uh, orbs, the moon and the stars and then the sun for the day. Uh, and he separates the night and the day. And this creates the day, right? And so what you hear repeated after each creation is, and there was evening and there was morning, six uh, for six days, right? And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And there was evening, and there was morning day two. And there was evening, and there was morning day three. Um, the delineation of night and day creates rhythm, creates the rhythm of the day, right? It creates boundaries and order, right? There's a rhythm of time, right? And then the days, adding up to seven, Create the rhythm of the week, right? There's six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. Um, and as I was reflecting on this, um, going back to verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Some people uh, inter- translate this, there was chaos, right? There was a dark chaos. It wasn't Right? When you look at, it, look at the words, when you do a study of the text, it wasn't just uh, nothingness. Right? It wasn't ex nihilo, like out of nothing that God began to create. There was this darkness, this chaos. And God, it says God's spirit was almost like fluttering over the waters. Right? God was hovering over the waters. And into this chaos, into this darkness, God brings light. God separates 
light from darkness. God separates the day from the evening and creates days. And so the first thing that we see um, about God's creative work is that he brings boundaries, right? You'll see the word separate. He separates things to create boundaries. And these boundaries create spaces, right? Domains. And since I'm into raising children right now and thinking about how I should raise them, one thing I know about children, and you'll read about it, and I've discovered this to be true, is that children feel safe when you create boundaries, right? They want to know that if I walk outside, it's not safe. If I am inside, I'm safe, right? If dad says no and mom says no, that, that I know those parameters, right? And it actually helps kids to thrive and to grow, to have the, to know more clearly what are the boundaries of safe, safety. We, as adults, are like, boundaries? Uh, don't give me boundaries. That, that, that crushes me. That's crushing my spirit. But for children, boundaries actually helps them to grow and feel safe so that they can be more imaginative, so that they can be more creative, so that they can play better. Because they know that if they play, they're not going to go off the deep end, right? That mommy and daddy are there to help them. They're not going to fall away. And so in the midst of this chaos, God's word brings separation, and the separation brings order because it creates space, playgrounds, if you will, for these things of creation to come in and fill it, right? The sun and the moon fill their domains. They're separated, and it creates the safety and this order, right? So that thing, good things can happen. Are you with me? Uh... The next thing that we see also six times is after God creates after God creates that thing in that day for that day, his project for the day, uh, he says, he looks at it, he scans his handiwork and says, that's good. Now that is good. He saw that it was good. Creation, and what we can glean from this is creation, nature, people, are what? At their core, at their inception, are good. Not bad, not messed up. It's good. Creation is good. Humanity is good at the core. God does not do anything half-butted, nor does he make mistakes. Nature, the plants, the animals, are part of God's creativity. Remember, and this is kind of a side sermon, this could be a whole thing. Remember that if you ever think, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I hate myself, self-loathing, remember that God looks on you and says, now that is good. You are good. You are good. You are good. And I think many Christians need to really deeply understand that nature is good, right? Because in seminary, we used to read all these like books about how the source of all kind of destruction of creation, right, has its foundations in Judeo-Christian thought, right? Because as Christians, we're like, oh, 
We're gonna, at the end of the earth, what's going to happen? God's going to judge the earth, and it's going to burn away, and we're going to go to heaven and float up. So that means, who cares about nature? It's going to burn anyways, right? But that's not what we read in Genesis. God created it. It's a part of his handiwork. It's beautiful, and we'll see, as we read later on, God, our responsibility as people, as humanity, is to be good stewards of nature, right? Not to abuse it, not to consume it, and be like, I am the paragon of all creation. All animals and fish, deer and cows and pigs are here to feed me, right? Eat, 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 plants, eat, eat, eat. I am bear grizzly and wild. I eat everything and destroy everything, and I should not care about it because I am the image of God. No, right? The word is dominion, but it doesn't mean dominate, right? Dominion does not mean dominate. The word is more like, right, be a steward, be a servant leader, right? I don't know how else you get Be a servant leader of creation, of the animals, of the plants, right? You're made in my image, and part of that means I am a creative God. You too are to be... Um, Uh, my image in the world. You are my image in the world. Just as I do, you do. You reflect me. Does that make sense? And so creation, actually the Christian response or how we steward creation is that we should preserve it. We should value it. We should steward it. Amen? Not use it. Not abuse it. Not just consume it. So it was good. The next pattern that I see is God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Right? This is where you see uh, the Sabbath and the week. The rhythm and the order of the days and weeks make our time holy. Right? God brings rhythm and order. And when he brings rhythm and order, it makes it holy. Right? So me working 80 plus hours... Right? and not talking to my children, and just working till I drop, and still feeling guilty because I don't work enough, that's unholy. Right? That's not holy. God has a rhythm for things right? that, that's holy. Right? And we and the world has other rhythms. Um, and they are always in competition with one another. Does that make sense? And so we need to as people who are in the image of God, we need to look at God as the example and as the model and be like, oh, even God rested. Even God took a day to rest, and he made that day holy. He kept it holy. Right? Did God, does God really need to rest? I don't think so. Right? God didn't, do, he wasn't like, oh, I have muscle fatigue. Right? My lips, because I'm speaking words that become so much my lips are sore right no right there's something about the rhythm that he wants his people to understand this rhythm of working right and then at the end there's a period of rest that's good right work and rest work and rest that's good that's holy holiness just means set apart not 
you're floating and glowing. Right? Holy mean, holiness means you're set apart. Right? So God is just setting apart different things. He's setting apart this day. And we should do that in our lives. We should set apart time. We should set apart day, a day or days. We should set apart things that aren't, don't belong to all the other kind of anxieties and claims, things that'll have claims on our time and our day. We should set apart something that's set apart, right? It's holy. Amen, are you with me? Amen. And that when we set things apart and take those risks, that's actually an act of faith. Right? We're trusting that I don't have to do what I feel like I have to do with this thing. I'm going to set it apart trusting that God is going to take care of it. Right? So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Uh, rhythm, order of days. Um, the other things that I want to point out is that God creates domains. He creates domains by separating and structuring and, and he creates it, and then he fills it, right? So he separated uh, the night and the day, and then the, he filled it with something, things that have dominion of that space, right? So the sun has dominion over the day. The moon has, and the stars have filled the night. The moon has, rules the night, right? So creates the space, fills it, and charges something to have dominion or to rule, the, to lead that place. Um, the birds and the creatures fill the land, fill the water. The birds fill the air, right? And the other piece of that is that God blesses the creatures and the birds, right? And he blesses humanity, right? And what is that blessing? Go fill the to humanity is go fill the earth be fruitful and multiply or flourish fill the space and flourish to the birds right and the creatures fill that space that i've created for you and multiply right be fruitful and multiply so there's a bound there's a separation and there's boundaries put in place but those boundaries create spaces for creation to flourish. Does that make sense? And for me, uh, I'm the type of person that is not good at structure, right? I'm not a structured person, you know? But when I don't have structure in my life, I don't do well. So basically what I'm saying is, I need some institution or somebody else to place structure around me and then I'll really thrive. So I like to like float over to things that are already established and fill the space with my creativity and spontaneity and like make it thrive, right? Um, so, but I see that, that God uses structure and boundaries to create opportunities for people to thrive, right? In our, in our lives, right? You can't just do what you feel or do whatever, right? There are times that God is going to be like this. You're here. You're here. If you've ever seen the, the movie Hitch, have you seen the movie Hitch? Like Will Smith is teaching this guy how to dance. And the guy's like all over. And he's like, no, you're here and you're here. 
you just occupy this space right here, like that, like that. None of this, none of this, right, right here. And that's what God is doing with us sometimes in our life of discipleship. We're like, I want to fly. You're just holding me down. I want to be married. I want to lead. I want to have a better job, a better house, a better calling, a bigger, something bigger. And God's like, you're right here. Right now, you're right here. Right? Because this is where I want you to be right now. Fill that space and thrive. Fill the space that you're in and thrive, right? And be bounded. Oh, even saying that, be bounded. I'm like, no, but it's in here, right? There's order. There's boundaries. Uh, relationality. So everything in this account of scripture, or account of creation, everything is intrinsically related to one another. So... As I mentioned, separation of night and day allows for the rhythms of the days. The separation of the sky and the land uh, lends to safe space for the birds and the air and creatures of the sea and animals of the land to thrive. And then, so everything is interconnected. There's a relationality to the spaces that are created and God's kind of filling that space. And then when we get to uh, the creation of humanity, God says, let us create man in our image. And this used to be like a great preaching point for me. See, God says, let us, right? Why does God say let us? Are there many gods, right? Is he like, let us make God in our image. The one thing God, uh, it, so he used to say, oh, he's using the plural possessive here because it points to, right, the Trinity, right? And we see the spirit of God in the beginning, the Trinity, right? There's father, there's son, or their spirit, where's the sun? So this us, uh, that's the Trinity. And then kind of some co commentators had to come along and say, actually, this is more of a royal we, right? Like a king would say, let us do this, right? It has nothing to do with the Trinity. Um, but I'm going to just say, God saying let us demonstrates, because it's, it sounds better, right? Demonstrates the relationality with God himself. God is love, and the God is the creator of relationship. So God's creation of humanity connects people to himself um, as relational creatures made in his image and also connects us with creation as stewards of the earth and its creatures. Right? Let us. God can't help right, himself. Because God is love, because God is relationship, Right? Even in him speaking with himself, right? there's, there's plurality in it. Right? Let us. Right? Udi. In Korean, it's Udi. Right? We. Us. I used to get mad at Janice all the time because she'd be like, my bathroom is not clean. And it's our, we're married, right? Or like, I want to, my, she'd say just the singular possessive. For things I'm like we're married it's our room it's our job it's our house it's our child not my daughter my son and I mean, we get in these fights because for me that language itself it's like I can't help but think collectively right that's who I am right it's our toothbrush 
<laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> God is like, let us, right? Our relationship, many, us, right? Let us create humanity in our image, right? Man and woman in our image. Um, and then he blesses humanity and says, be fruitful and multiply and be, have dominion over all these creatures that I've created, all of creation, right? Be stewards of this place. So we have this relationship with God, right? And we have this relationship uh, with creation. And that's who we are. If you're like, who are we at our origins? We're of the image of God. We, and so someone put it, it's not we are the image of God. No, we are made in the image of God. It's we are the image of God in creation. Isn't that awesome? Just that little difference. Like we are the image of God in the world. So out of what chaos are you coming from? What chaos are your friends and loved ones in? What chaos, when you turn on the news, when you read your blogs, when you look at Facebook, what chaos is the world in? God offers order, boundaries, power, and love. With his word, he gives life and he blesses. It was so, it was good. God speaks and it happens. God's word is powerful. God's word creates life. God's word has authority in your life. And we need to think about that. Do we really believe that God's word has authority in our life? Do we really believe that God's word is powerful in our lives, in the lives of our friends, in in the world? has the power to transform and change. Because as we'll read later on, there's creation and it was good, but there's also the fall, right? And evil comes in and things fall apart, right? But what we know of the gospel is that after things fall, God continues to make it his mission and priority to restore and redeem and renew everything that got jacked up, right? Constantly moving in the world to redeem and restore and renew, redeem, restore and renew, right? And he calls us to be the image bearers, to be the image, his image in the world, right? To carry his word, right? And the question is, do you believe that his word is powerful and authoritative? Has the power to change, that it, it's meaningful, that it's true. And finally, as we live our lives, we remember that God is doing a work of redeeming and restoring in your own hearts and lives. That many of us have been hurt, abused, many of us have fallen, right? And God has picked us up. Many of us still feel 
down and are needing a hand, like, pick me up, God. Right? And we don't believe. Maybe intellectually we believe, yeah, 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 God, God can do it. I can pray and have friends pray for me and he can do it. But do you believe right, that God is creative and powerful and that he can look upon, he looks upon you, looks into your life and says, now I want to do something in you. I want to create a new space in your life to fill it, to thrive again. Right? And then look at you and say, now that is very good. 